You're listening to the Charity Champions Podcast. Each year, TFNB Your Bank for Life chooses six nonprofits from around Central Texas to recognize as Charity Champions. Tonight's Charity Champion is... Champions enjoy live on-field presentations at Baylor University home football and basketball games, online broadcast and print marketing exposure, and world-class leadership development through 360 Solutions, all at no cost to the nonprofit. In this podcast, we want to get to know our Charity Champions a little better. We're bringing those who help and those who have been helped into the studio to hear the stories behind the champions. In this episode, our third charity champion of 2018, The Cove, Heart of Texas. I talk with Executive Director Kelly Atkinson about how The Cove is providing a place for homeless youth to thrive. There may be family situations where a parent is incarcerated, another parent is really struggling with mental illness. And now let's get to know our champion. Kelly, well, welcome to the podcast. For those who don't know, can you introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Kelly Atkinson, and I'm the executive director at The Cove, Heart of Texas. If I'm someone who has never heard of you before, how would you describe The Cove? The Cove is a really beautiful, welcoming space. So it's an after-school nurturing center for high schoolers in uh, Waco ISD who have been identified as homeless. They might be couch surfing. They might be staying with an uncle or an aunt or kicked out of mom's house or mom or dad are not in the picture anymore. And so they are looking for a safe place to go after school. They can get a healthy snack with us. We have lots of tutors and mentors who are really committed to our students. A lot of community organizations that bring in um, hot meals at night. And so Monday through Thursday, our students can get a big dinner and a lot of fun hanging out with each other and also with mentors and tutors who care about them a lot. How'd you guys get started? Our two of our co-founders are on the board. So she Cheryl Pooler is a lecturer at the School of Social Work at Baylor, and Rosemary Townsend is what we call a professional volunteer. (laughs) Uh, She works harder and and more than any of us who are paid. And the two of them really teamed together in 2015 because they started to notice a trend of just growing numbers of homeless high schoolers. So 15, 16, 17-year-olds who are literally just kind of figuring out life on their own because there's not a guardian or parent in the picture to help get them to school on time, make sure that they're passing the star and, and making sure that they're ready to graduate prepared for life. So Cheryl is a social worker and saw that need growing and just really you, anytime you spend time with her, you see just her passion and her her commitment to making sure that we end youth homelessness in Central Texas. So they started the organization in 2013. 15. Uh, we opened our doors in October of 2016. And so this is the beginning of our third year of serving high schoolers. So you guys just kind of saw a need, saw that it wasn't being addressed and said, we can do that. That's right. And really, in a way, we have to do something about that. Youth homelessness has doubled in the last 10 years. And I think in a lot of ways, it's really an invisible problem because a lot of our students, are, are not, they're not raising a flag to say, um, I don't have anywhere to stay tonight or I'm not sure what I'm going to eat. They really are looking for ways to blend in with their peers. And you wouldn't recognize our students if you were just walking into Dollar General or if you went to a track meet. We have students who are National Merit semifinalists. We have students who are all-star and band, track stars. They There really are a lot of reasons why students might find themselves on their own. But it's an an invisible problem because they blend in and they want to blend in. And so when you say homeless, you've you've kind of talked about this. So 
they're not homeless in the sense that we think of like somebody living under a bridge in a cardboard box. They're like, for whatever reason, and maybe you can talk to me like some of the reasons these kids become homeless, Mm -hmm. their guardians left them or their guardians not able to take care of them. Mm -hmm. Like, how do they find themselves in this situation? There are a lot of different reasons why our students find themselves in their situations. And, And a lot of times it does have to do with family conflict or family chaos. At the same time, poverty is really a driver for homelessness, period. So we have such a high poverty rate in Waco that that it's not surprising that we would have a lot of students who, you know, once their families have been at it, trying to to live at minimum wage or on a, on a bare bones budget, uh, by the time they have a student who's 15, 16, 17, in a way, you can see a parent looking at that older child and saying, I think you can start to figure it out on your own. I have a five, six, two-year-old. I need to feed them and you're you're going to make it. I know that's not, you know, I'm a parent of three kids and, and that's not necessarily the way that I would <laughs> see things. Yeah. Obviously, these still are children and they're not able to make it on their own. But when you look at a lot of the family situations that our students come from, there is a rock and a hard place. And, and sometimes that is how our older students find themselves without support. In other ways, there may be family situations where a parent is incarcerated, another parent is really struggling with mental illness. Those are either untreated or undiagnosed diagnosed. And so in a lot of ways, home might exist, but it is not a safe place. About a third to a half of our students have experienced sexual and physical and emotional abuse. Mm -hmm. They have learned to survive. The bottom line is our family is our family. And even if that family member is unsafe or unstable, we're always, we always want to be with mom or dad if we possibly can. And so that's something that we try to work with our students on is, is how can we help to build stronger family systems so that if there is a place to go, that that could be a more safe place. We know that family reunification is one of the best ways for young adults to thrive. But at the same time, it does come to a point for some of our students where they cannot stay at home or there is not a place for them to go. Either um, family members have left town or they, they have just found themselves completely unaccompanied. That's about half of the homeless students in the district. And that number has grown every year. So those are probably the major reasons why our students would find themselves homeless or unaccompanied. So these students that aren't homeless on the streets so much are like saying, okay, my mother can't take care of me. My father's in jail. And so they're staying with a friend or asking, hey, can I sleep on your couch tonight? That sort of thing. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. And so how do you guys find these kids? Well, we have a strong partnership with Waco ISD. So Kim Ellis is the district homeless liaison. That's actually a designation now that's a federal requirement that every Mm. school district have a homeless liaison who can identify those students. Because like I said, homelessness among teenagers has has doubled in the last 10 years. So it's becoming a nationwide problem and one that our national government is even looking for ways to address more comprehensively. So Kim Ellis serves on our board. She works with principals, assistant principals, counselors, CIS workers, teachers, administrators on the campuses. She trains to help identify homeless students. So that might be a student who's wearing the same clothes, you know, day after day, or they may linger after school and not really seem to have a place to go. And and a lot of times our students will share with a trusted adult, you know, I just, I don't have a place to go or I don't know where I'm going to be tonight. So those students 
students are referred to Kim Ellis at the district. And there's a federal legislation called the McKinney-Vento Act. It was created in the 80s, actually, to allow educational institutions to to find those students who are homeless who are who are doubled up or who are staying in a place that's just not fit for human habitation. And they can be flagged in the district system and they have extra support services available to them because of those special high needs. So those services have to do with transportation. So the district is required to find where that student is staying that night and provide transportation to that student's home campus. So if a student is at university high and yet they've been kicked out of mom's house who's in the university district and they're staying across town in East Waco, university still needs to go take one of their buses and bus that student into university that day. I'm guessing that's to help with keeping them in school and not making it an easy choice for them to drop out, right? That's exactly right. Because our students often are some of the ones who are flagged most readily because of lack of attendance and poor grades. So a lot of that does have to do with if you don't know where you're staying, even just the practicalities of like, I stayed with my aunt last night, but I don't really know where the closest bus stop is. Or I know that I'm not in the district of my home campus. And so I don't really know how I'm going to get there. And how can I be expected to focus for a math test when I don't know where I'm going to stay, what I'm going to eat, all that stuff, right? Yeah, our students really do. I've said this already, but they are survivors and they're very resilient. They figure out ways to prioritize graduating, you know, and showing up and trying to make life happen. So you see their resilience. We actually had a student last year who would come to the Cove after school. It's a really comfy place. We have Mm -hmm. beautiful couches and um, it feels like home. And so this one student would come and take a nap on the couch and there were probably a dozen other students and volunteers and there's it can get loud in there, you know. <laughs> He'd lay on the couch and sleep for a little while. Every evening we have community partners come and share about healthy relationships or about writing a resume or how to apply for a job. And he'd tune in, you know, and listen to our community partners and then eat spend a little bit of time with his headphones on on the computer trying to recover seat time for school and then our buses would take him to the fast food restaurant where he worked and he would work from 8 p.m. until 4 a.m. Oh my gosh. And then find a friend's house or someone where he could sleep for another hour or so on their couch and then show up for school the next day. I can't even imagine. I can't either. (laughs) And he graduated this last May. That's great. And we've seen him since then and his eyes are bright and he has an apartment. He has a vehicle. We said, you know, wow, you look amazing. What's going on? And he's like, I'm sleeping every night. You know, it's amazing how much that'll change your life. Is there a point probably with a lot of these kids, especially as they're coming into high school or they're dealing with more issues where you really have to struggle with them and say, please stay in school? Oh, yeah. Very much so. So it's actually not uncommon for our students who are seniors to get down to that last four to six weeks and basically start to drop out. Wow. The last that close four to six weeks. <laughs> and, you know, it blows my mind when in and, and our and our staff team, when we talk about it, we're like, no, you're so <laughs> close. But I think for a lot of these students, there's there's a, a double edged sword to success. So and that's something that we're learning because we're three years old and we have a couple of batches of graduates 
kids. But we notice that when they get close to graduation and they think about what am I going to do after high school's over? Where am I going to stay? How am I going to support myself? Many of our students do attend college or they they seek an associate's degree or they're full-time in the workforce or military. But the, the challenges then of living on your own when really you don't have all the equipment to do that well is also almost as scary as not graduating. Mm-hmm. You know, so we we actually did have a student last year who was within about a month of graduating and he stopped going to school and one of our case managers went and found him at his place of work and was like, dude, you can do this, <laughs> you know, and it actually made the difference. You know, he started going back to school and he was one of our graduates last year. But I've learned from our students that they actually, some of them really don't have a lot of voices in their lives saying you can do this. And so it's really amazing to see how far that can go when we have tutors and mentors who are there at the Cove every evening and they're like, oh my goodness, you're like a track star. You know, mm-hmm. you're, you're placing here and you're doing this and, and you can see their faces light up because, you know, some might say, I just don't have a lot of encouragement in my life. Mm-hmm. So I've had voices telling me you can't do this or who do you think you are? And so it's really amazing to see how our students can flourish in a positive, uplifting, encouraging environment. People can't see exactly what your facility looks like on a podcast, but I want you to take us on like an audio tour <laughs> of what the facility's like. So run us through exactly what all you guys have and how it's laid out and stuff like that so people can visualize this. Sure. We have a, a really beautiful welcoming lobby where our students come in from their buses and they sign in. The color tones are like a light blue and a gold kind of tone and, and white and yellow. And uh, we have marble action figure posters up. And a lot of our students really love that. Some of our <laughs> students are over it and are like, okay. But it's really fun. And and so they can come into the living room area. We have about four couches that are lining the walls. We have a lot of greenery, some really bright um, artwork there, some some really cozy rugs. We have bean bags, and uh, we actually have an Eagle Scout troop that is gathering supplies for us to have a lot of sensory-friendly little fidgets. So oh. this is, this is going to be new this fall where our students who are, I don't know if you've ever heard of sensory integration, but... We just did a podcast with Talitha Coom, and they're all about that sort of foundation exactly. for kids. So yeah, I've heard a lot about it, and you can listen to the previous podcast podcast to hear about that as well. So. Great. Well, for any student or any person who's experienced trauma, sensory input is really important to help mm-hmm. ground a person in their bodily experience. Right. So we are going to have like heavy weighted stuffed animals that our students can put over their lap or they can actually put them around their necks that you can put um, essential oils in that smell like lavender or other things. And so having those kinds of things, plus like fidget spinners or goo or whatever mm-hmm. um, readily available helps our students to basically come in from a long day at school and start to kind of integrate, start to kind of ground themselves and and rest and relax. And so we'll have those things around. We also have a big, long table that can seat almost 20 people. And usually when our students come in, there are snacks laid out there, um, juice boxes and water, um, oranges. We have a partnership with Baylor Neuroscience and Psychology and their faculty bring us fresh fruit um, every week. So. So there are lots of options for our students to grab. We really do try to make it options. So the students, if they're hungry, they can have what they want. And mm-hmm. we've, we have a lot of community partners who help make that happen. So they come and grab something to eat. A lot of times they're on their cell phones, you know, just checking in <laughs> from the day. And we gather both around the table and in the living room at, at that first part of our day. And then we have a 
basically what we call a community meeting where then after everybody's had a chance to eat, they gather around on those couches and we just have like a PowerPoint or a, just a little bit of a schedule for the day. We try to follow the same pretty predictable routine where our students know that we're going to have productive time where that is reading to a volunteer or um, getting on Khan Academy or recovering seat time on Plato or used to be Odyssey where our students can do that with a volunteer. And basically after community meeting, they kind of break up. Our, our facility has probably half a dozen just small rooms where there's either a couch and a couple of chairs or there's a whole bunch of bean bags or we have a little library where students can go and pick out a book that they could read. Usually it's like a couple of volunteers and a student or a couple of students and a couple of volunteers will kind of find a comfy spot and, and start reading out loud is one of the main ways that um, our students make use of productive time. We also have a little gym in our facility. So That's good. it's really cool. And again, that was that partnership with Baylor Neuroscience and Psychology where they're doing a full-on research study on the impact of high-intensity interval training on at-risk youth and their self-esteem. This is our second year having that program with them, and they wrote into their grant all of this equipment. So it's almost like you're walking into like a Camp Gladiator or something. Nice. You know, we have like kettlebells and mats and and big those square boxes that you can jump up and down mm-hmm. from. Uh, we have a treadmill, we have a bike, and we see our students really making use of that. You know, going in there actually, you know, research shows that moving your body actually helps um, to process trauma and it helps to ground you in your bodily experience. And so a lot of our students will come and make use of that too. So we have a tiny little computer lab, a lot of laptops that were given to us by the district where our students can get online and access some of their work. All their quizzes and tests are still taken at school, but they can recover seat time and access a lot of their schoolwork there. So you keep saying seat time and I've been out of school for a while, so I don't know exactly what is seat time. So this is also, I believe, part of federal legislation that a student, you know, may be passing all of their content. Let's say they're taking Algebra 1 and they're doing well on all their tests and quizzes. Let's say they have a 92% or something. But if they miss more than 90% of class time, they lose that seat time or class time. And if you lose more than 10% of your seat time, you actually cannot pass that course. For our students in the district, I believe it's 22 days is basically kind of the demarcation line where a student then becomes truant and there, there becomes a lot of more difficult for our students. Mm-hmm. Each hour that a student works at the Cove can count for three hours of seat time for the district. So that helps our students because they have missed class or they have been coming from multiple different locations. It helps them to recover seat time. And again, it's it's a way for us to advocate for students who, who really might be doing just fine in the content itself, but because of their life circumstances, they've missed a lot of class. Like they can't get there or have trouble getting there, or mm-hmm. maybe they need some money so they have to work and they mm-hmm. have to like cut class to go works that sort of thing exactly or there's there's not a working vehicle in the family you know it's just it's too hard to get there and back type of a thing and so you said you guys also do like a big meal every night yeah and that's a really fun time so we have groups like a book club that's out of St. Paul's that has banded together uh, and they prepare a meal in their commercial kitchen each Wednesday night and it's always Mexican and it's always so good Talk Wednesday. Yeah. (laughs) And so our students come to expect like, oh, okay, it's the book club (laughs) night and it's going to be Mexican. And so 
it's neat to have community partners like Judy's Book Club that is consistent every week. And they have, I think, probably 10 to 12 women and they're broken into a couple different groups. And so they'll do the the loving, tender care of preparing that meal. And then they bring it to us by six o'clock that night. We have several other community partners. Um, La Fiesta has been extremely generous to us throughout the years, just providing awesome fajitas and tons of food for our students. Cheddar box, same thing with um, really good mac and cheese and grilled cheese sandwiches. So it's always just a, a fun time to be able to get a hot plate and sit around the table. A lot of times we have like a little icebreaker or a fun game or something like that to, to just chat. What's the importance of good nutrition and a full belly for these kids? It's so important. I am actually a little bit of like a, I'm a big eater. I'll just say it. And <laughs> I know for me, if, if you don't look like it. <laughs> I look like a big eater. <laughs> I I am. And I get hangry. Have you ever been hangry? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I feel for our students because I'm sure they get hangry when it's when it may be that it's been morning time and there might not have been much at the house. You know, our students can get free and reduced lunches um, and breakfast at school. It's all free now. Yeah. It's great. We don't really need it for our kids, but I think yeah. it's great for like dignity for these kids. And they don't have to be like, oh, identified as, oh, they need the free lunch. That's right. You know. That's exactly right. Because when, you know, I'm I'm learning so much because I just started working at the Cove this spring. Mm-hmm. I'm, it's humbling and, and really eye-opening to work with our students because in a lot of ways, they're, they're not responsible for the circumstances that they find themselves in, in terms of what their family environment and their social supports actually look like. And you see them making the most of what they have, and you see their families making the most of what they have. Mm-hmm. I've talked with multiple parents, and uh, I respect them immensely. You know, because they'll get on the phone with me and say, I'm so glad they're at the Cove. I want them to be there. You know, I'm 30 years old and I have three kids in high school, you know, and um, this this wasn't what I was planning. But having you on the scene helps us to make life happen. So, yeah, our students really do need uh, good nutrition. And we actually have Baylor Nutrition come every Tuesday night and they talk with our students even about kind of the nitty gritty stuff, like what's the difference between a protein and a carb and. Uh, they'll bring fun snacks like Greek yogurt and fruit and granola. And that was one of my favorite nights this spring because our students were like, that looks disgusting, you know, <laughs> but they but tried it. You. Exactly. But they tried it. Clean your plate. Yeah, they tried it. And one of our one of the students who was like the most vocal, like, I can't stand that. That looks nasty. She is all about Greek yogurt now, you know. Okay. So exposing our students. And, and I again, I have three kids and I have had the opportunity to expose them to green stuff and, you know, Greek yogurt and, and yellow vegetables and stuff and, and have for years endured their resistance to <laughs> eating any of those things. So, you know, here we have our high schoolers who may or may not have been exposed to a lot of those fruits and vegetables throughout their lives. And so that exposure is really important. And we do come to find that they adopt new habits. We actually had one student who participated in that HIT workout, the high intensity interval training. They're incentivized to participate each time. That's part of the, the project. But they've also just come to really love it. Like that high that you get when you work hard and you're sweating and you're doing things that you didn't think you could do. And our students are getting encouragement from one another.
together in ways that they hadn't in the past. We have had half a dozen to a dozen students participate, and this one particular student lost seven inches from around her waist from participating in the the workout program this spring. So she felt good. She looked good. She was happy to be doing something she didn't think she could do. You kind of hit something that I I thought was interesting. When I did my podcast with Talitha Coombe, I made the mistake of saying they may not come from a loving environment or their parents may not be loving. Hmm. And I was quick to be corrected Mm -hmm. that a lot of times these parents deeply, deeply love their kids. They are just in a dire situation themselves and don't know what to do. And how are they supposed to know what to do when they've they've been in generational poverty Mm -hmm. for as long as their family's been around sometimes? So is that kind of your experience when you when you partner with these parents to kind of help out their kids? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think bottom line, every parent cares more than they can even say about their children. And I think if you if you lined up 10 parents from every socioeconomic status and ask, you know, what's the hardest job in your life? They'd be like parenting, <laughs> you know, it's it's one thing to to run a corporation or to be a nurse and and to feel like you have some level of competence and know how and in, in doing those things. But when you look at your six month old or 16 year old, you don't know what to do a lot of the times. And a lot of our students, parents are coming at parenting with either few skill sets or faulty skill sets or, or damaging tapes in their in their own experience. And so, yeah, I talk with parents who are saying, I'm not convinced I'm doing the right thing or my parents were awful, basically. And so they're saying, I'm doing the very best I know how to do. And I commend them for that because I know how hard it is to parent. I see the Cove as a support to those parents and families. And we never are going to take the place of our students' families and would never want to. But we want to see ourselves as a support to the school system and to the family system so that they know that they're not they're on their own. It's hard stuff raising teenagers. It's true. After the meal, they get bust back to wherever they are staying. Is that right? That's right. So we have case managers on site and one of their main jobs is just to help our students come up with a list of maybe three to five safe places that they could stay on any given night. So that might be, you know, a, a band mate's family, you know, willing to to have them stay on their couch for a couple of weeks. We're really looking into having host homes where we work with families um, and individuals who are willing to say basically like a like an international student mm-hmm. who comes to stay for a semester or a year, could we have host homes that are willing to provide food and lodging for a year for our students? Like a free Airbnb. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. The, include the B. You know, we need both, yes. both the bed and the breakfast. So we have a couple years of research uh, here locally to show that there are folks in town who'd be happy to, to do that. And that's one of our first aims to come up with housing solutions for students because we do work with our students right now to find a safe place to go. But the fact is, especially for students under 18, our community really has very few viable solutions for housing for those students who are unaccompanied or homeless and under 18, not able to sign a lease on their own. Do you guys want to eventually the code provides housing or would you rather this host home program be the way that you guys go? Yeah, it's a good question. And and we're learning very, very quickly. We're trying to learn quickly about what national best practices look like. Host homes do tend to be one of those models that other communities have adopted. But we've also found that it's not like one size fits all. So let's say we have a student who is 18 and in his or her last year of high school and they've been really figuring out 
out life on their own for several years now. A host home might not be the best solution for that student, especially if it came with a lot of expectations about checking in or being there at certain times or, or, or doing certain things or not doing other things, which would be part of living in a host home. Mm-hmm. That's that's part of being in a family. And Gotta do the dishes or yeah, something. You ju- you, it's <laughs> both and, you know. But let's say that that student has really been figuring out life on their own for a while. We'd like to consider, you know, private partnerships with realty companies or management organizations that might be willing to shelter, let's say, a couple of apartments for Cove students who are 18 or 19, who maybe even could be roommates and have a safe place to stay where the Cove could co-sign a lease or something like that to keep that student housed for the that school year. Those are a couple options. Host homes, private solutions for older, some of our older students. I think host homes really would be better for some of our younger students, 15, 16-year-olds. We've also really started to to think a lot about a long-term facility for the Cove because right now we rent our space from Rydell and they are amazing and they've helped us to really make it like a home. It's about 3,400 square feet. This last week we had 16 students one night. Wow. Plus our volunteers and mentors, uh, it gets tight in mm-hmm. there. And we know that this isn't a, a permanent facility, a long-term home for us. We'd love to have a commercial kitchen where we can, you know, part of our evening routine would be preparing meals and, and cooking them together and um, sitting down and having some more of the those, you know, fresh ingredients on hand where our students learn how to feed themselves, you know, that would be something that would need to be part of like a long term home for us. And as we're thinking and dreaming about that, it's very much in the dreaming stages right now. We think about what would it be like to have maybe six to 12 like dorm style rooms where if we had a student who you know, really didn't have a safe place to go that night, we could say, you can stay here. Mm-hmm. So some emergency transitional shelter um, that is, could be part of a new facility for us is something that we're really looking into. Talking about that and your ideas and plans for the future, what are some of the immediate needs you guys have? I'm pausing because I think we brainstormed a list of our immediate needs and it was four pages long. So. <laughs> <laughs> we have identified our goals for this coming year. Honestly, this this housing problem is really important for us to try to solve as a community. So we're a member of the Heart of Texas Homeless Coalition, which is also our continuum of care for homeless individuals in the community. So this is a it's a systemic challenge. And also there have been systemic solutions. I don't know if you know, but Waco has actually eliminated homelessness among veterans. So the city has actually been very proactive and a shout out to Nicole Wiscom, who is the continuum of care coordinator for the city. She's very proactive about helping to gather those organizations in town who are helping to solve and address homelessness. We have a lot of member agencies who are looking to find ways to end homelessness. Housing has to come first. It's not a silver bullet, but we've even with that one student I was telling you about, when he had a safe home and was able to sleep all night, every night, it literally felt like he was a new person. Yeah. So if you think about like sleep disruptions, if you have little children in your home or, you know, during those years when you have, or some, for some of us, it's years before <laughs> babies sleep through the night, you're not yourself. You right. know, you can't be when you're not it's sleeping. Basic human need. It is. So housing first helps to address, especially that need when it comes to a good full night's sleep and also a felt sense of safety. So for some of our students, even if there is a home that's part of the picture, it may or may not be a place of felt safety where that student can actually let down, where they can go into their room and know that they're going to be able to rest all night. 
Addressing this housing need is probably our number one focus for this year, especially for those 16 to 18 year olds. So it's our BHAG. It's our big, hairy, audacious goal. (laughs) Uh, We have plenty of other ones. Like we're really ramping up our case management services to our students. And so basically just another way of saying just holistic social emotional care for students when they come through our doors. We want to help them set goals around their education, around their social emotional life. We have a therapist on site weekly who can meet with students individually or in groups. We have also just an emphasis on sustainable living. So whether that's helping students get jobs or think about transportation and housing, that would come under that area as well as our fourth quadrant is physical health and wellness. So we think when we're helping students set goals in each of those four quadrants, that we're helping them in a sustainable, holistic way. Our case management is important to us and we're looking for ways to just continue to grow those services. So staff, we need staff. Need staff? Yeah. Staff and and volunteers or how's it work? Yeah, so we have we have volunteers night to night and again those those folks have been really incredibly consistent. I would say we have maybe one night of the week where we could use one or two other volunteers. We have partnerships with community folks who do tutoring. So when it comes to to volunteering and manning the nights, we're in pretty good shape. That's good. That it's it is exciting to be in that place. Mm-hmm. But we also want to do things like Christmas at the Cove, where we make some some special stockings for each student, where we thank our community partners who have given that year and have kind of like a, a gala or an event or a party. Special things like that that happen quarterly are really things that we could use volunteers to help us make happen. Staff are actual like paid positions that you're looking for? Right. And the resourcing for that could also come from <laughs> <laughs> community yeah. uh, partners. So I think if, if we could, you know, wave a magic wand. We'd love to have a couple more staff people. One thing that we're trying to do is an in-depth mentoring program called the Cove Coach Program, and we could use a staff person to run that full-time. We really do find that, again, when our students have housing, a lot of the other negative life indicators start to fall away because our students are safe. And But at the same time, you know, you kind of think, okay, if a student's homeless, then they need a home. And they do, but they also need social and emotional support. And I like to think about poverty in the sense of poverty has a lot of relational lack to it as well. That if you did grow up in poverty, you didn't necessarily see exactly how to budget in a way that was sustainable or how you might have to think ahead to keep a car inspected and the insurance on it up to date. And so those types of life skill development tasks really are things that we want to have a group of healthy adults come around our students over the course of like a year mm. uh, to just help with things like, hey, did did you get your car inspected, you know, before the registration ran out? Because that's going to be important. It'll be a ticket for you if you don't. You right. know? Those are the types of things that a lot of us pick up along the way from our parents or from making those mistakes ourselves. But we want to remove the barriers for those students because they need more support. How to Adult 101. There you go. There you go. It's important. And there's lots to know that people don't tell you until you find yourself in this sticky situation. So it's good to have that parent figure around. Right. Yeah. I'm assuming people could also donate to you. Um, Do you have any big fundraisers coming up? We do, actually. So this fall, we're kicking off our fundraising cycle for the year. And we do have these big, hairy, audacious goals. (laughs) So you can give monthly on, on our website. You can go to our website and click Donate Now and 
set up a monthly gift if that's of interest to you. We also receive one-time gifts as well. So those are definitely ways that you could um, support us at The Cove. We are looking to raise operating funds, you know, just unrestricted gifts as well as, you know, looking for ways to help make a new facility happen or some of our housing solutions for students happen. So those are probably our biggest needs at the moment. Excellent. So if people want to find you online, what's the best way to do that? It's www.thecovewaco.org is our website. You can give there. You can sign up to volunteer there. There's also a page of resources where we have a lot of PowerPoints and research articles about homeless youth and what homelessness among youth really looks like. And so raising awareness about that is really important to us because a lot of folks in our community care a great deal about not just our students, but about folks on the margins in our communities. And a lot of times there's not an awareness of just how to help. And so sometimes just, you know, hearing a podcast like this hopefully can open our eyes to what some of our students are really living with and living through, but also those resources can help understand it a little bit more too. Thank you so much for coming in today, Kelly. And thank you so much for what the Cove's doing. We are so excited to have you as our 2018 charity champion. Thank you so much. We're thrilled. All right. Thanks for listening to the Charity Champions podcast. If you're listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please take a moment and rate and review us. This helps our podcast reach more listeners. Have a charity you'd like to nominate for next season? Visit charitychampions.org slash nominate. You can also find more information on this podcast and all Charity Champions at charitychampions.org. And of course, tell all your friends. We'll see you next time.